0: What's happening? Or should I say, (laughs) Wagwan? Welcome
1: back to Diabetics Doing Things, guys. We have a very
0: special guest for you today. Oh, yeah. Eritrea is continuing to run the show, run point on the takeovers for Diabetics Doing Things and Doing Things Day. And as part of those takeovers, now we're almost always including podcasts as a part of them so that we can get to know what it's like to live with diabetes in different parts of the world. Our very special guest today is Alexia Beckford from Jamaica.
1: Yeah. Uh, Call me Mrs. Worldwide from now on. Talk to me nice, in the words of Alexia. Um, It's such a good interview. I had never met or talked to a person from Jamaica with type 1 diabetes. So to have her just literally put her life on the table and be like, this is what it is, was absolutely an amazing experience.
0: I think just talking to her and like hearing how exactly similar, like, because you'll hear her in, speaking in with her accent and it's Patois is the uh, Patois is the, is the Patois. Way is, Patois. Okay. Yeah. Cause O-I- OIS is French. So uh, Patois and her vernacular, like it's a little bit different. It's a regional dialect, but there, she's saying the exact same thing that everybody here in the U S always complains about. Like, can you eat that? Or do you have the bad kind of diabetes? And I think it's so cool to see people's responses are so similar to our own here in the US, even if they're from somewhere else and they've never even been uh, stateside or they've never you know, uh, interacted with people who are saying those things. So very cool. Uh, Alexia's perspective is really interesting because uh, like many of our international guests, uh, especially from smaller countries uh, like Jamaica, there's a diabetes stigma and people don't typically share their chronic illness journey there yet. And I think that's just uh, here in the US and in some other parts of the world, UK, Australia, Canada, people are becoming more outspoken uh, about sharing who they are and sharing that journey, but it's still very culturally behind closed doors in many places.
1: And I think all of our similarities with Jamaica are kind of on a spectrum of how they lead into more dangerousness. um, Because she, and she'll tell, and I'll let Alexia tell it, but there's a great story that she tells of how just basically the culture there breeds the same type of culture it does here, where those negative. Assumptions create dangerous situations of life and death. Right. And,
0: and you know, I think you just get a really, uh, a different look at what many people in the United States experience every day, which is you get diagnosed with diabetes, you're handed a prescription and you don't get any other information. And, yeah. you know, for somebody who was diagnosed at age 20, like Alexia, you know, you are older than 18 but you're basically in the same position as you were when you were 16 17 uh, from a maturity level from a you know station in life and i think alexia does a really awesome job of being brave and and showing so much courage with talking about how hard it is to manage a life with diabetes and um you know when you hear people say things like oh well you must not take care of yourself or you just don't have faith uh that you could be healed Uh, when in reality, you're waking up every day, giving yourself injections, testing your blood sugar, changing your pump sites, changing your CGM, advocating for yourself at doctors. All those things are things that you're choosing to do for yourself and they matter and it's hard work. And to say anything else is to minimize all of our experiences. So thanks to Alexia for coming on. Uh, I'm really excited to share this episode.
1: We are consistently doing things, guys. And come with us to Jamaica. I feel like this is a refreshing little... I don't know. It's it's great. She's great. I love it.
0: <laughs> and you know, I've been to Jamaica one time. It was amazing. Um like on a cruise. I just went on a cruise for like which oh, is wow. you know like, okay. the, I was most,
2: like wow. <laughs> you know, wild
0: stuff. I don't know, but um I'm not a big cruise ship guy anymore, <laughs> but um that was the first summer I had diabetes. I actually um I went on that cruise. I remember cuz uh, my dad and I tried to go scuba diving somewhere and I put on the sign up sheet that I had diabetes and they you know wouldn't let me go because the uh, the insurance wouldn't cover it. And it like hurt my feelings. And it was the first time I remember um, not being able to do something. And my dad and I, I remember I was like 16 and like, you know, feeling kind of sad uh, because we were having this, you know, about to do this cool thing. And he put his arm around me and he's like, son, maybe next time we just don't tell him. And, uh, <laughs> you know, then we like went went to the beach somewhere, of course, like it's it, we were in we were in the Caribbean. But anyway, small story for me. Uh, great, Love amazing episode coming from Alexia here. And Uh, Really looking forward to seeing your feedback from Alexia Beckford. Okay. Welcome back to another episode of Diabetics Doing Things. We're telling the amazing stories of people with diabetes from all over the world, all over the world. The key, the key phrase today, because joining us from Jamaica is Alexia Beckford. Welcome to the show. And Eritrea is here too. Of course. course.
2: Thank you so much. Well, Thank you. Okay. That means what's up. Yeah, right. have to translate.
0: So I watched. I was telling Aira A- A- about this. I watched Top Boy on Netflix, uh, and they all—it's about like some London gangsters, and they talk and they—they um, they all say wagwan. So like, yeah, I'm I'm with it. I'm tracking. Uh, like, <laughs> I was trying to integrate it into my like everyday sayings, but it just never caught on. People were like, "Dude, what are you saying? I don't understand." The the,
1: uh, that, the Chet Hanks of
2: diabetics doing things. Oh boy.
1: <laughs> yeah,
2: man, it will come. Like if you hang around us enough, it will come. It'd be like easier. it be like, yo, walk well Yeah. I
0: love it. See, we're, we're already like, we're already into like the differences in culture. That's why we're having people on the show. It's so great. So
1: Jamaican food in Dallas, Rob.
0: No real talk though. Some good Caribbean food here in town. is It's hard to find.
1: They have it upstate. They're, I feel like the Caribbean culture in the United States, Alexia is really popular like in New York and Florida, Florida. And, mm-hmm. you know, even Seattle has a lot of Jamaica, but I feel like, you know, we're lacking here in Texas. Well, we were but kind of
0: it- talking about that beforehand. I feel like te- <laughs> Texas doesn't seem like a super cultural melting pot. doesn't seem like a very welcoming place. Sometimes I think it has a reputation for cowboys, big trucks, um, And that doesn't necessarily lend to the most culturally diverse places, but I think that's you know we're very culturally diverse here in DFW at least.
2: Well, I mean, hopefully, but I was talking like some Jamaicans will come there with some great food because like, or I'm sure they'll DM
1: us. They'll say, hey, we're diabetic. Yes. You know, we want to reach our Jamaican community wherever you may be listening from. So if you live in Dallas, you know where some great Jamaican food is. Please DM us, but also yeah, please DM us because. Caribbean
0: Cafe in uh in the farmer's market, pretty solid. Never heard of her. I I used to live, I used to live there, so I that's why I know about it. But uh anyway, um Alexia, you have diabetes and uh I know we're gonna talk a lot about diabetes community or lack thereof in Jamaica, but why don't you clue us in and tell us your diagnosis story? How did you come to join the T1D family?
2: Oh whoa, I think what was it? Yes it was, I was 20 years old at the time, I had like finished up college, um, working in my family business and I was like super healthy, like I was going to gym, I didn't drink soda, I didn't do all of these things and then I had, all of a sudden I was getting like frequent urination, thirst, lack of energy, all of these things and it, it was very shocking for me because I've never had that before. So the speed and things right along went, so the general practitioner, And he, he didn't test my blood sugar. He did a urine test and he said it was high, but I had to do a blood test and they were recommended that I fast and I'm not good at fasting. Fasting is not my portion. So when they gave me the glucose to drink, like I actually vomited on the nurse, on the phlebotomist because like, and then I remember less than two weeks later, I called him and I'm like, okay, what's the result? And he was like, uh, 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 I'm like, am I diabetic? And I was on the bus when I called. And I think I just started to cry because it just hits you. I started to cry. And this lady came over to me and I said, I'm diabetic. And she said, it's going to be okay. And, um, you know, I went to him. I went to him the second time just to get the results in person. And they came with this little book, one paragraph on juvenile diabetes. That was it. He gave me a letter to the Diabetes Association of Jamaica. I went there at the time my blood sugar was 23. I don't know how to do the big numbers because from my diagnosis, I always know those small numbers. That was 23. And in 45 minutes, they were just telling me how to eat, how to inject. And that was it. So, I mean, you're used to your life before, you know, and then now you have to be like, so you keep your insulin. This is what you do. So it's a lot.
0: And uh, just so, just for those who are listening at home, uh, 23 millimolars blood sugar reading is, uh, over 400, uh, about 415 milligrams per deciliter. So yeah. doing that live conversion for you here, guys.
2: Yeah. Thanks. So like, I, you know, I didn't know, as I said, sometimes I see these big numbers, but like, I only know the little numbers. So when she gave me the insulin, like everything was relief, but you have to understand nobody in my immediate family has diabetes nobody has type 1 so I think after diagnosed and trying to deal with that it was just a point of I just had to change my diet and at that time they we never really had a lot of that stuff like nobody told me how to read the label for carbs I was just looking at the sugars I was not looking at the carbs and carb counting nobody taught me that so I remember for like for the first two three weeks it was hard and my father, just said to me, listen, you, you just have to deal with it because he realized I was getting depressed because there wasn't a lot of literature. or the literature right. I was finding was like type two. And, and
0: so, I mean, I, and obviously I think like when you're left to your own devices and you have to rely on yourself to answer these questions, it can be super overwhelming.
2: Yes, it is. And I mean, come on, like you're 20, I, you know, I'm, I'm 20, I'm thinking about, okay, I have a degree to do, I'm saving money, this is an additional expense. Like nobody, never in my wildest dreams could I have imagined how much of my savings would just go to being alive or staying alive. They don't tell you that. Nobody prepares you for that, especially here. So
0: talk to me a little bit about what what it's like. We've been talking about access more often here on the pod uh, in the United States. Talk about what, what is healthcare like in Jamaica? What, what was, um, you know, and how, how does it work for you to get your insulin or your prescriptions or or what have you on like a monthly basis?
2: Okay. So we have, a we have a government program, which is, um, which is enabled by the national health fund. So you'll get a health card and they will give you like discounted rates on your insulin. So I believe it can wait from 20 to 30%. So you get a discounted rate. So if your insulin is like I'd say $30 per pen or $40, you'd probably pay like $25 or $30. But what is greatly, what greatly assists you, excuse me, when I worked somewhere was I had private insurance as well. But at the time when I was just diagnosed, I never had private insurance. I just had the government card. So when you're diagnosed, you have to wait for the card and then they will give you a machine. You'll get a machine free. But the first year I was diagnosed, they called to say they'd give me a machine, but I never got a machine. So I had to buy that outside of it. And then you, you have government pharmacies that stock certain types of insulin, not all insulins, but certain types. So for I think for the one I take, Lantus and Apidra, it's not stocked at the government pharmacies because that it's a little bit more pricey so than they... the general Humalog or just the regular.
0: So like, and in, in here in the U S right, we would, I mean, that would characterize, we have like brand name, uh, medicines and then generics, uh, it's similar in the insulin world, not exactly one-to-one, but yeah, it's a little bit here. It's not necessarily on a pharmacy basis, but it is on a, uh, insurance coverage. So for example, government insurance or like Obamacare here may not cover certain brands of insulin, um, for a multitude of reasons. Uh, and then same thing with private insurance, different private insurers care, uh, covered different types of insulin um for a lot of different reasons mostly yeah. price though
2: and and here's the thing what they don't tell you is that at the time when i was that age or oh, the jamaican dollar was a lot stronger than it is now and you know insulin is imported so when the dollar goes up your meds are going to go up
0: and th- those are the things that you know, especially when you're 20 years old, you're not thinking about global economics affecting how much your medicine costs.
2: No, you're not. You're, you trust me. That's far from your mind. You're like, I was in survival mode. That that's the that's the mode you're in because you're like, you before being diagnosed, you have these goals for your life, you know, like what you're trying to accomplish, and you are barely making it. Like you're trying to save for school. You have meds. You're trying to eat properly and eating properly is not cheap. So that's with,
1: with the lack of like community in Jamaica and not having a whole lot of people to help you find your way. How did you eventually find a good in- an endocrinologist and get on a pedra? Because that's a pretty fancy insulin to be honest. Yeah. yeah.
2: OK. That's it. Let me tell you what happened. I was and I think th- this is something I have to speak to as well. I went to diabetes association, but obviously I was stressed some over the course that I had that GP who knew a bit more about diabetes. She had put me on insulin and metformin, which is a pill for type two, which is a big no, no, because as you know, you're type one. You're not supposed to be on a pill. It's insulin. That's what I was being given. And that is what some doctors do here.
0: And some do, uh, I think. S SGLT two inhibitors is the category and metformin is the generic or the, the primary yeah. brand, whatever. And, uh, for type ones, many of, I have some close friends in fact who have lived with diabetes for like over 20 years. And so they have a, a hard time with insulin absorption. Mm-hmm. So it is prescribed in, in some cases, but yes, you're right. Like as a, as a general rule, it's mostly a type two drug.
2: Yeah. But they, but here's the thing, the doctors are not explaining to the patients they're not giving them that option. So what happened is in 2015, my blood sugars were all over the place and I developed ketocidosis. So I went in a coma for like a day or two. And then when I'm at a hospital, I had, I had to see all these different doctors and they realized that whatever I was on was not working. So they had put me on some different types of insulin and just calibrating it was a headache. So long and short of it, after I came out of the hospital, I got really sick. I was allergic to the insulin everything and I found myself researching researching I actually to, to go to a specialist you need a referral I was in so much pain I had so much nerve pain and everything I showed up at his office and said to his and said to his assistant listen I need to see him I'm in so much pain this is not working and called my doctor on the phone and said listen I've I've come from the hospital I'm still in so much pain it's not working and he did tests and that he set me straight, and I wish somebody had told me in the beginning to be like find an endocrinologist, find one ASAP. That's not here. Like I didn't get that.
0: And how long had you lived with diabetes before before your doc, the You know this hospital experience.
2: I had okay. I had lived with it for like eight years. Wow. Eight years. So
0: you went eight years on, with diabetes without seeing an endocrinologist.
2: Yes. Yes. Alexia and I feel
1: like I have to say this. She looks 26, but she was diagnosed <laughs> 20 years ago. And Alexa looks like she's my age. And when we talked, I was like, oh, yeah, girl, I was diagnosed, blah, blah, She's like, oh, yeah, me too. And I was like, "What's the math.
0: That's that Caribbean, <laughs> so, that's a, those Caribbean genes. That's like yeah, that,
2: yeah. yeah,
1: I'm telling you. Because you were diagnosed in 2003, right? From when yes, was, yes, now, yes. So that's a long yeah. time ago. So I just wonder, has the care in Jamaica changed? Like, do you know, like, as a standard? Has it changed or are they still kind of doing things the same way, giving I,
2: patients- I think, you know, to the thing, when I was just diagnosed, and I think it was definitely after college I was diagnosed. right? I think what has changed is that the Ministry of Health is like putting up more information about, okay, make sure you get fitness, make sure you're eating right to prevent you from type two diabetes. Because when that ad just came out, they were saying to prevent you from um, getting diabetes and it was ju- just general. And I was upset because I'm like, listen, be specific in who you're targeting. So I feel like we have the program Jamaica Moves, which is about telling people trying to move and eat right and protect your mental health. But I also believe that from a cultural perspective, we have to, we have to do our part too, because culturally, people will be like, you know, no man, my uncle did have little sugar, and he no one stopped drink the rum, and them cut off him foot. And you're
0: like, yeah, and I mean th- those kinds of conversations happen here too. I mean there's I mean there's an awareness, you know, and I saw something on the internet the other day like talking about social issues and things like that where it's really not a lack of awareness anymore, but in a lot of cases for chronic illnesses, I think it is. Like you know most people's experience in the United States is very similar to that. Like they had an uncle or a grandmother or a dog or a cat who had diabetes and that's how they learned about it. And what we don't do a great job of, in mass is talking about the differences between the different types of diabetes, even within type two diabetes or within type one diabetes, like the different types, there's so much information that we just are not covering.
2: Yeah. And I I definitely have to agree with that. And I, you know, I find myself just educating people on a day-to-day basis and saying, listen, I don't have type two. My pancreas does not produce any insulin. Okay. It just doesn't, it does not want to work it's not because i don't have enough faith it's not because god didn't want to do a breakthrough it just don't work because i i I find that depending on who you're talking to the narrative changes so it's almost as if you want to blame me and i'm i have to check you right there like don't be telling me like all right don't don't go there so i think it just depends on who you talk to Cause say, oh, you don't have enough faith. Sometimes that's why you're not healed. And I find that so offensive. Like you don't know me. And I got so upset one day and I had to say to somebody like, I get up every day and inject myself four times a day. Like, do you think I want to do that? Like, are you real? Do you really listen to the words coming out of your mouth? Like w- who would want to do that? Who wants to get up and be a pincushion and test and test and test? And that hurts, but they're coming from a narrative of not knowing and brushing it off because culturally, you know, you want to make light of a situation, but it's not light, it hurts. And just because I'm not crying about it, that doesn't mean there isn't a side of me like, yo, this is hard.
1: And to Alexia's point with the Ministry of Health and Wellness before this interview I was doing, like a few days ago, I was doing some research and they put out this uh, book in 2020, which was like an interim guideline of the clinical management of diabetes in Jamaica. They Mm -hmm. only talk about type two. So so that kind of feeds into this culture of, of blame and shame and just in general, as an idea that these people have put it on themselves because they, you know, and that's terrible. So,
0: well, and I think that's doing a disservice to people with type two who can't change their diabetes. You know, I think that was something, you know, I bought into a narrative for many years as I think many people with type one do, which is that, you know, type two people with type two diabetes are totally in control of their outcomes and, you know, Mm -hmm. they can reverse it if they just wanted to, or if they just did what they were supposed to do. And I think, you know, learning and, and again, it all comes back to learning and, and uh, opening yourself up to other narratives because that's not true. And it's, I think it, that oversimplification, I think oversimplification in general is very dangerous. Um, and I right. think it um, takes away a lot of really positive things from people working really hard. Just like you said, Alexia, all of us are doing some really inconvenient, really painful, really annoying Things every day multiple times just to stay alive and then you know it it feels very hurtful and i think it can be triggering or um you know just make you feel really gross when somebody says oh well you just don't have enough faith or i know exactly what you're going through it's not that hard Uh, and it just is very it can be very it feels very attacking
1: minimizing yeah it's taking our problem making it fit
2: and i feel like you know, because it's although those persons out here, we say it's sugar. So you minimize it, but you will never tell somebody who has cancer. You wouldn't minimize their experience. So why are you minimizing my experience? Because you don't know my experience. Like, you don't know how I feel. And I think that is something that as a culture is going to take time. Because as I said, we don't speak about certain things. We just don't.
0: Let's talk about that for a second. As um, we do. So you, I think you said like, that's cultural. It's not just diabetes. It's it, that's, you know, putting on a, a happy face. It was what we would say here is like yeah. put, putting, putting on to show that you're okay, whether that's diabetes, cancer, financial, mm-hmm. uh, you know, etc. You're not like that though, from a diabetes perspective. Like, so is that weird for people that you're sharing this journey publicly? I think it's,
2: I, I think it's, you know, it is very weird for some because I'm like, okay, I have type one and I put it out there. And that's not something that you you just talk about. That's not something that you really talk about. Because as I said, when I was coming up, I did not see a lot of people openly say they're type one or even type two. Persons were really discussing it. Like I'd go to a family event and be like, so there's no diet, anything? There's no low carb juice? or we having some sweet business? come on, come, what's happening? Like I discussed it with my pharmacist and, and and I think what I've started to do is, you know, just be, very, just be very vocal about it. And what I have found from my perspective is that even doctors and people that come across, they're like, oh, you really read up your, on your thing. But I'm like, if I'm going to have this, I need to know what's happening. Right. Um. But definitely, Rob, I put myself in a position of if I were, my younger self, I would want somebody to tell me.
0: I demand that you're, you're taking words right out of my mouth. That's the same thing I wanted to do, you know, is like be the person that I needed when I was 16 years old, Uh, somebody that I could look up to and say, Hey, you know what? This person has diabetes too. And I can, you know, rely on them to live whatever life I want to live. Definitely. I think that's so
2: important it's crazy that jamaicans
1: don't want to talk about diabetes when 17.9 sorry for the statistic 0.9 of them are impacted by the prevalence of diabetes think that like hey I think it's 1.2 percent that's not i'm not sure about that one i think it's 1.2 has the chance of being diabetic or is mm-hmm. a diabetic or knows a diabetic you know how in america it's like one in every three knows a diabetic yeah. is diabetic or well, is impacted yeah. in jamaica it's 1.2 so i'm just like
2: that's a lot of people. That, that's a lot of people, but here's what they do. They they brush it off. So you say to somebody, you know, and you can go to a bar anywhere, and you'll be like, my grandma is diabetic. So they will know somebody who is diabetic or has sugar, but there's no acknowledgement in terms of they should take better care of themselves.
1: So Alexia, if you went to a bar and you took an insulin shot at the bar, what would happen?
2: They'd be looking at me like, you have sugar or something, then would have, have they, I think what happened when person see they stare, and the typical Jamaican response is, What wrong with you? What's wrong? What wrong with you? You all right? And if you said to them, you know, sir, they see with the injection, they're like, Yeah, it's the bad one you have. it's very that's so the funny. first thing. They'll tell you you have the bad one. Because as you said, Ministry of Health focuses on type two. So when they see you injecting yourself, they're like, it's the bad one you have lord i feel sorry for you and you know all these little random questions like the you injecting your vein and all of these things come up yeah man they ask that and i'm very open about it i'm like no i'm not a drug addict you know because i don't think persons they, they don't want to speak about it
0: well, and, and, and I, I think, too, you know, that that question comes up, you know, it doesn't sound as cool when people in America say it, but it's like, oh, do you have what kind of diabetes you have? Do you have the bad kind? Uh, or do you, you know, because they see you doing, you know, looking normal and they're like, yeah. and they're like, oh, well, do you have the bad kind? You must not because you seem normal.
2: Yeah, because I don't look it because usually out here you can't tell if a person is recently diagnosed because their face will look really slim and in part always say your face will John. That like when you look really skinny, them say, boy, you look drawn. So people say, you know, I have diabetes. And they're, um, I actually found a dancehall artist. I found his song. And he said in the first lyrics of the song, like, 2017, mash me up. to catch diabetes. And I'm like, that's not the norm, right? Because I'm no person in di- um, dancehall fraternity who have it, but they're not talking about it. Right. You're
1: saying
2: to me because I have no idea what you just said. Okay. Like, so it's like. It I think I got face. it.
0: I think I got it. I think I got no, it. Wait, so wait, I feel wait, happy wait, with that. Wait, I feel Rob, happy about you this. You <laughs> this. Yeah, go ahead. No, I'll no. go ahead. Explain it.
2: Okay. So he's like, he was like, yo, in 2017, we catch diabetes, which is basically in 2017, he got diagnosed. So instead of saying diagnosis, they say, you yeah, catch it. Yeah. Yeah, that's what they say. They say, you yeah, catch it. Continue to perpetuate the stigma (laughs) yes and i will even say something else to you you go to certain doctors and they'll say you're on the borderline because i've heard people talk and they're like they're borderline diabetic
0: and we talk about here in the united states too i think that's where that that stat from eritrea came from is like one in three people in the united states has some sort of diabetes or pre-diabetes I think there's some crazy, like a hundred million people in the U S right now have pre diabetes or something like that. Just like where their A1C levels are high enough where eventually they're going to have to start taking diabetes medication.
2: Definitely. But it's, I, I've had people come up to me and they're like, Oh, I, I'm on the borderline because they do pre-diabetes, they're on the borderline. And my first thing to you is like, what are you doing? Like, how are you managing your stress? How are you managing your sugar levels? Like whatever you're doing, you need to do some stuff because you do not want to cross that line like you need to get yourself control like this is something that you need to do so as I said we don't have we don't have a lot of discussion it's not a strong community because after they broke into my house last year like somebody checked my profile and saw that type 1 diabetic and the girl actually dm me and she said I'm type 1 too and I felt alone and then I saw you and I'm like girl we're here we are here so, so you made more friends
1: now like a community of type i ones? think i
2: met like one or two people and my doctor has called me because he said that um this teenager was diagnosed and she wasn't taking it well and her mom wasn't taking it well and he wants to give her my number and i'm like yeah you can reach out to me and then one of my sister's friends is type one type one as well but she can't afford she had never seen an endocrinologist and she doesn't have the money to get certain types of um insulin. So she was hospitalized quite a bit and it's kind of, it's disheartening because I remember my sister wasn't in in the Island and she called me and she said, can you give my friend some money? Cause she needs to get insulin that I felt that. Mm.
0: You know, this is something that I'm going to need to articulate more clearly in another Avenue other than this podcast, but I was doing some research this week on, people who, um, get overdraft bank fees. So if, uh, they they overdraw their account and they get the, you know, 35 in the U S is $35 at most banks. Um, for every, like every person who gets one is more likely that they're going to get 10 more over the course of the year. So again, like adding up those costs. And I was thinking about that for a second about insulin. It's like, if you, if you need an emergency supply and you're able to get one, you're still going to be in an emergency situation the next time you need to fill your prescription or, you, and, you know, but so a lot, a lot of these programs are only able to use one time over a certain time period, but mm-hmm. that person could just be stuck in an economic situation where they can't, that they can't get out of in a short amount of time and they need medicine. So, I mean, I, I just, my heart breaks when you share stories about you know people, you know, like people that are in your family that can't get the access they need so they have bad outcomes and they're going to the hospital all the time Mm -hmm. and that cycle just keeps repeating because they can't get the access that they need
2: yeah and and here's the thing about it too if she's she's diagnosed because as i said it was my sister's friend and she was in high school and i'm saying to her have you ever been to an endocrinologist she's like no and i'm like but the hospital is supposed to have one on staff so even if you were there and you're type one one is supposed to visit you that's how it's done so if you're a hospital and you supposed to visit, you do the blood work and you they you have a follow-up clinic, which is a bit cheaper than going to the specialized visits. The clinic is longer, but that's more affordable. And I'm saying that's not adding up. And it's all about knowing your rights as a patient. And that's a, that's a next thing. We don't really know our rights as patients here.
0: Well, and I think it takes you know, learn, learning to advocate for yourself it's important to have examples of people of how to do that. So, if you don't have an example of how to advocate for yourself, more people can't. I mean, they just, there's a lack of information being shared.
2: I think, I think that's definitely true. But I found myself not really seeing an advocate because I was hospitalized two times for long periods in 2017 and 2018. And I had to be my own advocate. There was no one there. I never saw anybody there the patient care advocate didn't visit the ward and I couldn't visit them because I had fractured my ankle. So, and I saw doctors who from the orthopedic, orthopedic department trying to change my insulin, not consulting an endocrinologist, not consulting plastic surgery, not consulting infectious disease. And I have to be like, but no, like how are you changing my medication and you are not an endocrinologist? That's not your specialty. Your specialty is bone. Like you need to consult that not making sense. I actually had like, uh, a I don't think you know how upsetting it is to be in a hospital, not being able to move and somebody wants to change your insulin and you have to email your endocrinologist and he's emailing you that he cannot come onto the team because he has not been invited by that team. That is how it works here. Like whoever is your primary care has to invite the endocrinologist, has to invite other teams to consult. And for him to tell me, don't let them change your insulin. I went in and they were putting me on type R insulin. And I'm like, this is not making no sense. I'm coming out of surgery and my blood sugar is high. And I have to be like, are you, like, are you guys real? You're not real. I came out of surgery. You don't expect my blood sugar to be high. Wouldn't you tell me after I come out of surgery to increase my myelantos, to cover, to increase my alpedia, to help monitor, to ensure my sugars are tighter that's what i would do and i don't have no five-year degree
0: well and i think that actually happens here a lot in the united states in the hospitals um because when you're admitted to the hospital you are under the care of the hospital so and so like if i was uh, in your example if i was admitted to the hospital for a broken ankle but i had to go into surgery so they wouldn't they took me off my insulin pump or put me and put me on like an insulin drip or something which is typically what they do if my blood sugar was 400 and I felt terrible, I would normally just give myself a bolus and, you know, come back down. But in Mm -hmm. a hospital, sometimes your unless they have authorization from an endocrinologist, who's not necessarily your endocrinologist, they have to authorize them to be able to give you more insulin, um, other, or else they could, you know, if something happens to you, If you go too low, for example, and went into a, for example, a coma, they could be sued for malpractice. So it's a really backward system, especially for people with chronic illnesses that are going into the hospital for another reason.
2: Yeah. And I just feel like it needs to be more collaboration. And in in my estimation, when I first got fractured, like I did my research, I went there and I said, okay, can you put an endocrinologist on the team? It's the first time I'm doing major surgery. I am on antibiotics before I go in surgery to prevent me from getting infection. Like I did everything I could possibly do.
1: But I think a little bit of the difference, like kind of just not to not to piggyback. I hate that word. I hate that COVID word, piggyback. But Rob said, you know, in the in the United States, like that does happen in hospitals in emergency situations. But like I broke my ankle in 2015. I've had fractured ankle. Like I have plates and nails in my leg and. I had my endocrinologist collaborate with the orthopedic surgeon who did my leg and there was no need for an invitation. Like that seems almost ridiculous that in Jamaica, the protocol is, mm-hmm. we don't work with you based off of other issues. If that part person doesn't work, isn't a staff member of our hospital or isn't already on our team. Like that sounds crazy to me.
2: And what was funny is that my endocrino- endocrinologist is a staff member, is a senior staff member. Same. Okay, so... He had to be invited. And I was like, really? And I if mean you're an he, insured
1: person, right? At the time. Like you have a good job, you're insured. Like I you hold on. At the
2: time, yeah. at the time I was going through jobs, but I was on my I was on my ex-boyfriend's insurance. So I was on his insurance. I still had the insurance because he didn't terminate it. Thank God for him. And when I did the surgery, my insulin was not at the hospital you know. So mm. I couldn't get Lantus. I couldn't get a p jaw. So if somebody, if like, if you're my friend, Richard, I had to be like, okay, buy two, three pens, buy four pens, keep it on hand, and bring it, and bring it because it's not there. You're not gonna get it. Yeah. Oh my they don't goodness. Have it. They don't have that one. That's too costly. You're not gonna yep. get it.
0: Yeah, and I mean, like hospitals, when they go do budgets, the re- insulin is expensive. We all know that, <laughs> right? Um, and you know, for them to keep a bunch on hand costs a lot of money. So they, uh, you know, again, like people who are not making these doctors are not making those decisions. It's hospital management people, um, really gets us into trouble. Um, I do want to talk a little bit, um, about, uh, I do want to talk a little bit about your coma experience. Um, if, if you're, if you're open to doing that, because I think, I don't think we've ever had, we've never had anybody on the podcast talk about going into a coma and some of the complications that come with extreme low blood sugars, um, to, or, or even high blood sugars. What, uh, give us the circumstances that, um, uh, you know, what went along with that?
2: You know what happened? I just, I just was, I remember just being very thirsty. I remember just going to my regular doctor and um, my partner at the time dropped me off and I was like, I'm like, okay, go to work. I went to my regular doctor. I'm like, okay, I'm going to call my mom. And I remember, she rushed me to the hospital. And I remember like, I, I, I do remember like going in and just using the bathroom and remember not being able to pull up my pants, not being able to do anything. I wasn't even speaking the same. I had an accent when I started to talk. That's the little bit I remembered. And I remember that when I woke up, I had a catheter. I had IVs in both hands. Like I was so weak. I like I didn't I didn't even know I had to ask the nurse you know your are bad when the nurse station is here and your bed is there because they have to constantly watch you that's how the hospital thing is if your bed is right beside the nurse station you know they're watching you constantly and I heard I was there for like two days like I was I was I was like not there like everything was going good but I was not there and I just remember those waking up and i was like where am I The girl is like in the hospital, and like I never had my phone, I never had my bag, I never had anything because you know they're visiting hours, and I remember just being like, "Bag everywhere." You remember as like it it was like a shock to me, but then understanding that you know I was not on the right insulin, that would have helped manage my sugars, you know my potassium levels, all 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 these things, right, and. Coming back from that was hard because my body felt like after I got released, my body felt like I was being sucker punched. I came out, I have nerve pains never before. Like mm. I was super skinny. My entire it, it, it's like I, I can't even put it into words because it, it's a different experience. And then when I was in a hospital, one of the catheters, the balloon, it burst. And I'm begging the nurse to take it out because I'm in severe pain. And this nurse is going to say to me, if I've never experienced labor before, she can't take it out without a doctor's authorization. And I'm like, listen, I am in severe pain. I can walk a little bit. So you need to call a doctor and you need to take it out because I'm in pain. Like I'm in pain, pain. Like you need to take it out. Call him, get him on the ward, something. Because that was like at 3 a.m. in the morning. So you need to take it out. Hmm. Yeah. If you if you Rob, let me tell you something. If you don't know your rights, all of these things, all these things will happen.
0: Well, and I think you know, having a chronic illness changes your relationship with doctors, right? Because I think when you're younger or before you've had any complications with an illness you assume that your doctor knows everything about how to treat you and you have no reason to question that. And that's not their fault all the time. Uh, You know, specialists specialize in different uh, areas for a reason and the human body is very complex. Uh, But I think, you know, one of the things I tell people who are newly diagnosed, it was was interesting. You were talking about, you know, uh, someone, someone from the Federation reaching out and saying, you know, talk to this person and her mom because they're having a hard time. You know, one of the things I tell people who are recently diagnosed is that you can, if you don't like your doctor, you don't like what they're telling you, you can find another one. Um, But, you know, again, that comes up into an access problem because some people live in small towns or even small cities that only have one endocrinologist, one or two. And, uh, or it's a long trip across town to the other one, or the other one is out of their insurance network. And there's a lot of different obstacles that prevent people from getting the care that they need.
2: Well, I, I would just say when I was, when I had ketoacidosis and that was 2015, 2014, 2015, I remember this endocrinologist came and I had like a small juice, like it was a little bit of juice, had like 20 grams of sugar. And this lady behaved away when she saw it, she was disrespectful to her senior residents when she was doing the analysis, because in the morning when well, they come to you, they do ward rounds. She did not acknowledge me as a patient. She just read my number. And I remember leaving hospital and somebody said, oh, would you go to her? I said, never, not happening. Not today, not tomorrow, not the next day. I am not going back to that woman. That woman is straight up disrespectful. She's rude. So you have many endocrinologists out here and the cost will vary. Cost will vary, right? I mean, I would say if you're in Jamaica and you cannot afford an endocrinologist, find a diabetic clinic at a hospital and ensure that you you can at least see an endocrinologist and that will be more cost efficient than seeing them privately. That's what I'd recommend.
0: Hmm, Good advice. You know, and I think I'm glad that you're speaking up uh, because I think there, I know that there are people with diabetes in Jamaica who don't know what to do, don't know how to advocate for themselves, don't know where to go. And, you know, because there's no, and, and I think this is, you know, something I say pretty regularly, even in the United States, through this podcast and through Instagram or YouTube or whatever, we're not going to reach those people who really need help because they're not looking for diabetes information. They don't even know the first thing to look for. So, you know, getting in, in the front lines of these hospitals, of these clinics, of these wards is the best way you know, to meet people where they are because those are the people who need the most help right away, knowledge, information,
2: and care. Yeah, and I think what's very important is care because nobody, I mean, you can say to me, let's be real now, Christmas in Jamaica, you're gonna say, don't eat this, don't eat that, don't eat this. Let's be honest. Most of these families are not gonna prepare no low car- low carb meals. Let's be real. So you're gonna have the you're gonna have the bake ham with the pineapple slices and the cherry, you're gonna have rice and peas, you're gonna have curry goats, you're gonna have chicken or whatever different meats. And it's a standard to have fruitcake and sorrel, which is a drink, which is rum and sugar. So instead of saying you can't eat this, you can't eat that, it's better to say, okay, here are your portions. Here's what you need to do. And like here, we're your, not car-
0: your you- carb counts and things your like that. Your
2: carb counts. Not to say you can't eat it, but remember, if you're high, you may have to bowl us for certain things. This is what you need to do, right? Don't just be at a person like, and you know what I dislike? Are you supposed to be eating that? I dislike it, I dislike it, and I dislike it. You are not the food police. This podcast is helping me confirm that that feeling is international.
0: That's what I'm saying. I'm like, <laughs> we wow,
1: we all feel this.
0: We are all going through the same stuff. It doesn't matter Cult- cultural barriers, language barriers. Everybody's asking the same stuff.
1: Yeah, Where's my like- t-shirt, Rob? Yes, I can eat that in every language.
2: <laughs> yes, because you go out and I eat a brony. Like I'm somewhere and I'm like eating brony. Oh, you're not supposed to eat a brony, and I was eating brony.
0: I'm yeah, eating and, and I think though you know you're bringing up a bigger point. Medical literature, diabetes literature, culturally, right? So in the in America, you you can come, you can come over to the U.S. and we'll take you to the hospital and they'll give you a meal plan. It's not going to have any of your home Jamaican foods in it, because because no. that's not what they wrote it for. They wrote it for for Americans, right? Uh, and yeah. a specific kind of Americans, white Americans mostly. <laughs> the Blanco, uh, the translucent. Yes. Why? Because white people wrote it. So um, they were like, you know what? you know, chicken with no seasoning and white rice or brown rice and, uh, you know, baked potato, that's what you should have, you know, carrots every day. day. Um, (laughs) and that's not going to work. Uh, that doesn't work for me. And I live here. So it's like, um, you know, again, when I'm having conversations with newly diagnosed people, which it's very tangible for me right now, because recently I had a discussion with a young man who very similar to you just got a prescription for insulin and a paragraph on what diabetes is. And then, you know, go to the endocrinologist in two weeks was, was what happened. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, um, well, we, um, need to cover some basics. <laughs> you know, we need to say like, okay, uh, he, cause he's like, I love, I love this particular restaurant. And I, and I, I heard that I'm not gonna be able to eat there anymore. And I was like, no, you can, for sure. We just got to learn to carb count. And he was like, yes. the amount of relief on this, um, he was 18 years old, loves this fast food restaurant. And just the relief on his face that he didn't have to give up something that he loved was worth the price of admission right there. It was just for me, like seeing that a little piece of information from somebody who li- has a lived experience that they know that they can get through that is so, so, so important. So whether you're in Jamaica or you're in the U.S. or if you feel lost, connect with somebody with diabetes and ask them the questions, because I think that's the best life hack I can give you.
2: Definitely. I think, and I, you you know, you're so right with that. I mean, we have to connect with each other. And I always say, when you share a story or you share a testimony of what you're going through, you're actually imprinting somebody who's going through that, who has been through that. Because sometimes, yes, we are online, but online is such a big space and you can feel alone. It really so, is. Yeah. So as you said, just to be able to carb count, because when I was just diagnosed, nobody, no one taught me how to carb count. No. Nope. So I guess that was,
1: if, Alexia not to cut you off sorry but if you could say something to yourself now like looking back like to 20 year old Alexia who first um, got diagnosed like what would you say
2: I would you know what I'd say to my 20 year old self I'd tell my 20 year old self listen it's gonna be okay have faith Let's trust it's go it's gonna be okay you're gonna have some up days some down days you're gonna cry but it's gonna be okay that's what I'd tell myself I definitely tell myself, it'd be okay. Because you you have to, for me, just going through life and everything, I'm just diabetic related and just life in general. I am a firm, firm believer in God and faith. And for me, like I know, like when you have this disease, you cannot have any pride because you will be broke and need help. And you have to reach out to people and be like, listen, I don't have a lot of money right now. And I need help getting insulin. I need help with something. I need help with test strips. Like, don't be afraid to, you know, reach out. Because we're all put here for a purpose to help somebody. And you don't know, I'm helping you today. You could be helping me tomorrow, right? And there, there's no shame in that. There's no shame. You didn't go shopping. You never wasted your money. Life happened. Like, bills happen. And you're trying. So, like, I would definitely say, you have this disease. Nothing is wrong with it. Always go through good and bad days sometimes the bills take over like it's rough it's rough it's rough don't make nobody like don't make nobody make you feel bad because it's hard like it's hard
0: it is and i mean you know i don't think we say it enough it, it is hard you know we we talked about at the beginning of the year having a conversation about whether you identify as disabled or not uh, whether we identify as disabled and sometimes i think with diabetes, we try really hard to not seem like it's bothering us, but it's really hard. And it takes a lot of energy and it takes a ton of money. And it takes a lot of extra thought that most people don't have to go through. And to say that you're not, you don't identify as disabled is just, I think, overlooking and minimizing all of the work that you do just to stay alive every day. And you said that at the beginning, like, if I if it was easy for me to fix this or if I just had more faith why would I be waking up every day giving myself injections all day or changing a pump site or changing a CGM or trying to get better access to insulin or, or more information um, you know all, all of those things are are in play and you know I'm I'm glad that uh, you you know a found your voice to share uh, you know uh, against a lot of obstacles uh, uh, you know cultural and otherwise in Jamaica and that you're here telling the story and being that person that you needed when you were diagnosed, it's, that's inspiring. And I know it's going to make a big impact in your local community, but also just in the greater diabetes community.
2: Thank you so much. You know, it just, it means a lot to us be able. And I don't think, you know, you guys are doing such amazing work. So, you know, I'm saying it in patwa, but definitely have a big you guys up a lot, like a lot, a lot, big ups, meaning like I forgive, which is, you know, translating kudos to you guys for all the work you've been doing because you've just been doing amazing we're kind of showing different faces right not just persons who are like in the states but persons in different countries like Lebanon and all these places so you're like okay you know I thought it was bad but it's not so bad you know my place don't really bum out so I shouldn't really feel a little way it's hard yes but you know so you know you're giving that voice up Yes, we have this issue. Yes, it's not hard, but you're not alone. So definitely love what you guys are doing. Definitely. I have definitely big up you guys for even just, you know, conceptualizing it and then executing it and say, yeah. So that's really big, big, big.
1: I mean, the bigger picture is that not we don't just want to do it for, it's not because it's not for us. The point is to build that international community of diabetics doing things because now for Jamaica, we have a face. Yeah. Yeah. So the point here is for all of those people who who have the opportunity to, if you type in diabetes to Spotify, this is the podcast. So if you get the chance to listen to this and you live in Jamaica, you live in one of these countries where, or a community where there's nobody else, or you think there's nobody else. When we do these types of episodes, maybe you don't know who gets to listen to this and who this is going to impact. So I think that's what the beauty is in it. Um, so if you do listen to that reach out to Alexia Alexia where can they get to you where can they reach you
2: oh wow okay so you can reach out to me at Beckford Alexia on Instagram you can reach out to me on Facebook Alexia Beckford can send me an email alexia.beckford jm at gmail right so all my information is there you know reach out to me Definitely Maybe.
1: jump on her Instagram. She has a really cute shop. I don't know if she ships internationally. That's the only reason I haven't ordered. No, it.
2: I'm like, I'm working on that girl. I'm working on it, baby steps, but it's so bus big. We we'll gonna bus big, big, big.
0: I love it. Uh, Alexia, thank you so much for coming on the pod and for doing the, an amazing takeover. Uh, you, If you haven't seen your takeover, check it out on the Diabetics Doing Things Instagram. Um, that's why we're doing this, to tell amazing stories of people from all over who experience diabetes in their own world, and you know what we're learning is that those worlds are a lot more similar than uh, they appear to be so thank you again